CRISPR trials have joined a body of literature evidencing feed as a fomite for salmonella. Dr. Nikki Sherriott has published two studies identifying salmonella cerevars and feed and feed ingredients. The first of these studies used CRISPR to successfully determine cerevar types isolated from feed and found salmonella prevalence in the samples tested to be 6.2%. The second study, Animal Feed Contains Diverse Populations of Salmonella, aimed to determine if salmonella-positive animal feed samples could contain populations of multiple cerevars. Today we are discussing salmonella isolation from feed and the potential impact CRISPR can have with one of the second study's collaborators, an Anatox expert, Cheryl Schaefer. Hey guys, this is Cheryl Schaefer. I am the senior research technician down in the lab. Um, I've been with the company for going on 11 years. Can we start off with you just explaining the process of how we normally isolate salmonella from a feed sample that we receive to figuring out what serotype is in that feed sample? Yeah. That we take 25 grams of the sample, add it to 225 mils of a general it's a general broth that is designed to resuscitate it, um, really activate any organisms that might be stressed or in a weakened condition. So we incubate that for 24 hours. Then the next day we come in and we transfer from that broth into two secondary enrichment broths that are a little bit more specific to salmonella and have the right sugars and proteins and components to help the salmonella to thrive because we want to find it. Yeah. Um, do those broths also like knock back other growth or what do they do to the other organisms? Yes. It's, it's selective for salmonella and it's, it's two that's, that it's been a AOAC, it's been approved method for years. Um, so we go, we transfer into these broths. We do another 24 hour incubation and then we come in the next day and then we streak it out onto selective augers, um, two different selective augers from both of the broths. So we end up having four growths, four plates, petri dishes of growth in which we can find salmonella from this one sample. And then we incubate that. The next day we come in, we look at these plates and they do present some of them can present differently just based on their biochemical makeup. They're, they're not all going to present the same. So any that actually looks suspicious to us, we will streak it onto just a standard generic auger plate that will grow anything just so we can have one colony, one serotype, one individual salmonella that we now have multiple copies of on one plate. And assuming that we have a salmonella, a salmonella positive. So we'll straight that out, incubate that. Then on the fifth day, so this is a Monday through Friday process. On the last day, we will take that and do a slide agglutination, which we have, we have a, a bunch of different anti-sera. And it looks for the... It's the whole relationship between the antigens and the antibodies and mm -hmm. what the salmonella presents as to how well it agglutinates with the various anti-sera. Okay. So we go through the different ones. We have, we have the major groups. We don't have all of them. We have the ones that are primarily found in feed. Why are pre-enrichment enrichment so important to finding salmonella in feed? Because it knocks out 
other organisms that could compete for the same food source. Okay. So in the study that Dr. Sherriott and collaborators, which includes you, did, um, she looked at she looked at profiles in both enrichment yes. and pre-enrichment? Yes. Okay. Yes. We sent her samples from the very first day on day one. And then from the second day when we were in the, the, the secondary enrichment. So for each sample, she had three... I guess some um, samples, three pellets with which to work. I thought it was very interesting that out of the 50 samples that we ran, we only found salmonella in about 50% when you run it just from the general enrichment broth. Mm-hmm. And once she started looking at the secondary ones, we were up to 85%. What does that, what does that tell us? Oh, that tells us that you can't skip a step. <laughs> so do, do. You you have you have, you have to have the you, you, it it lets us know that we're doing what we can to provide the best environment for these salmonella to grow so we can find them. Okay, so does that it, I guess it kind of tracks with the logic then. So if that in that pre-enrichment is the salmonella being outcompeted, is that why we weren't able to pick it up in all eighty-five percent of the samples? Yeah, I think okay. I think that's probably a safe. Assumption. Assumption to run with. Okay. All right. So based on your day-to-day experience, how many colonies do you think you need to select from one of those single plates in order to find more than one serotype? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Now you're getting into (laughs) probability theories and and all that. You know, it just depends. It depends on the feed type. It depends on, you know, the the region of the world Mm -hmm. that these samples come from. Because you just you just don't know. It comes from. It could be an environmental sample. Mm-hmm. It, it, as you know from working in the yeah. lab, when we take environmental samples, you're you're not going to find. You, you don't find very many in our lab because we have our, our you know the we have our cleanliness regimen that we go through on a yeah. daily basis. So if you go into a feed mill and collect samples, they they might not have that. So yeah. you, you could have. Well, I suppose it's different too. Looking at lab environmental samples compared to environmental sab- samples so from the yeah, from a feed mill, right, right? Labs are cleaned every day. Feed mills are not cleaned <laughs> as extensively as a lab is. Uh, <laughs> there would be a lot of competition. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess so. What is, that would be a hard. That's a hard question to answer. Um. Gosh. Because you just don't know. You you just don't know. And and that was an eye opening thing, you know, about this is when you find more than one, because that's all we've ever done. We select one colony. Yeah. We just pick one. And if you streak it out and say maybe you have 100 colonies on your plate. Yeah. And we only choose one. Maybe we need to choose five. Well, I remember, too, back when Dr. Kurt was in the lab with us all the time, and he would say, you know, technicians always lean towards going to that pretty black, the big black colony on that XLT plate, just because that's what draws our eyes. So there's almost like a technician bias into which serotype you're selecting based on what's growing the best. A totally subconscious bias. Yeah. And then when you look into like the different biochemical reactions, and like you said earlier, um... The yellow colonies, well, we would assume that's not salmonella. Right. <laughs> so we wouldn't look right. at it at all, right. but it, it very well could be. Right. So it's and you know, I'm not I I'm not ruling anything out. Yeah. Because that's one thing I've learned from this paper. You can't make any assumptions. No. 
you can have yellow colonies and a surprise. Yeah. They don't they don't present like you would assume that they do. From the study that we're talking about, what do you think is one of the biggest takeaways aside from the you can't assume anything? That it is possible to have multiple types of salmonella in your feed and and you could have no idea. You could have some that are you know potentially fatal to humans or make you really really sick or affect your flock. Yeah. And you just, you, you don't know because like what the process that we go through, it's so much more detailed than anybody can possibly imagine because now you're down, now you're down on a genetic level and you just can't beat that. No, there's, that, that there, precision. Yeah, there's no comparison to knowing how many, because I guess we always just assumed, you know, salmonella, salmonella. But it is kind of interesting, especially with regulations and everything, where they start to look at certain indicator organisms. Right. Like, are they more interested in salmonella and aridotus? Well, it could be hard to trace that back all the way to something like the feed if we don't know. If we don't know it's in there. It's in there. If we're picking up infantis in the feed and not seeing the aridotus because it's just not growing as well throughout the method. Where it is cool to think that there's technology out there that could tell us hey, no, there's enteritidis, but when while it's in the feed, it's at a much lower population than this other strain. Right. And maybe as it moves into live production, that could completely change. It could become more advantageous. Now, that was one of the things I thought was kind of cool from it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So can you kind of just walk us through? So in the experiment, you kind of told us how you do your day-to-day analysis. Yes. Can you walk us through how that procedure changed for the experiment because clearly like you didn't go through every single step on those 50 samples for the experiment did you yes oh you ran through the whole thing we did. you yes. classically certified yes. it as well yes oh man <laughs> but so Which I, and that that was the interesting part is because i had this you know this huge spreadsheet with multiple tabs yeah. these are the results that we got this is all we found and then for her to be able to come back and just find so much more, it was just, it, it was neat. So yes, all of those samples went through, went through the process, they were typed, and then they were stored in the minus 20. Okay. And so then when we went ahead and we did this experiment, it, again, the feed went into the, went through the, the generic process. Yep. You pulled a sample, sent it to her. She tested it from that first step, that enrich, pre-enrichment step. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then she did the same thing with the both broths in yes. the selective enrichment. Yes. And then compared the two. Yes. Okay. So, but she didn't look at anything from like the plates or. No, 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 no. no not no, this time. No. But she did that in the previous study. She did. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we have already really talked is. about this, but how do you think a technology like CRISPR could advance our ability to look at salmonella and feed from from our perspective you know doing doing what we do i think this technology will raise awareness there's un, there's secrets to be uncovered mm-hmm. and with technology like crispr i think we can do that 